Hi there and welcome to another episode of the Careers in Health podcast. I'm Todd Fraser and joining me today is Dr Felicity Adams. Felicity trained in general surgery and completed a fellowship in breast and endocrine surgery and now works on the Sunshine Coast here in Queensland. Felicity, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Felicity, what was it that first appealed to you about surgery? Do you remember where you were in your career when you first thought that might be a career option for you? Uh, Well, it wasn't until my intern year that I really contemplated a career in surgery. I had, up until then, been quite scared of surgeons and found them quite confronting. Um, And at that stage had thought that I'd be to be a physician maybe in some sort of procedural specialty Um, but then I was lucky enough to have a great supervisor as in my intern year who was actually for my intern year I did um, half general surgery and half ear nose and throat surgery in a smaller hospital in Logan in Brisbane Um, and he um, my ENT surgeon boss there really took me under his wing um, and um, found out that I used to sew my own clothes when I was in medical school and told me that, you know, if I could do that, I should be a surgeon and was really supportive and was also just a really nice, approachable person with good people yeah. skills. And that that was what um, drew me to it and, well, at least made me maybe overcome my earlier fears or concerns about surgery but what I, I mean, what I like about it and what I did like about it then as well was just the actual physical, the doing process of hands-on fixing someone with your hands sort of as opposed to just writing a prescription or doing something a little bit more um, abstract. Yep. Also, I think not with all forms of surgery but often, you know, it's people have a problem you fix it you do something to fix it and then they actually get better you know it's like so you can actually see people through a little bit more than maybe some of the other specialties where you're just dealing with chronic disease and tinkering with this and that so what are the um what are the things that you do in your day-to-day this podcast is obviously for medical students and junior doctors who might not have an appreciation for the things that you do on a day-to-day basis what does your day involve um so there's quite a lot i mean i work in predominantly well i do work just in private practice i do treat some public patients but still in a private setting um so there's quite a lot of clinic involved because I mean, it depends on your surgical specialty, but not everyone you see needs an operation, so you have to do quite a lot of consultations in order to fill people onto your operating lists. Um, so on a weekly basis, I'd probably spend... I mean, I work five days a week, or sometimes more. Um, I'd do probably between two or two and a half days in my room seeing patients, um, new patients and old patients and also some procedures and in, in my rooms as well. Um, I do a half a day a week of endoscopy, so colonoscopies and gastroscopies, and then between one and one and a half days in theatre. Um, I also do half a day, a fortnight at breast screen where I work just as a visiting surgeon sitting on their MDTs and seeing patients with cancer essentially 
So, oh, and in addition to all of that, then I um, need to manage my business as well, which is um, takes up more time than you'd expect. And that's the business of your practice? I'm yeah, sure. the business of my practice, yeah. yeah. Something which medical school does not, or specialty training does not prepare you for in any shape or form. So tell us about that. How did you go about learning those skills? Well, on the job, essentially, by necessity. Um, I started from scratch when I started my private practice and I was only doing that, so it was a pretty slow start. Um, So that gave me a bit of extra time to find my way. Um, I also didn't start with staff. I started with a, like a, it's called a virtual medical office where they sort of handle a lot of the stuff for you. So I didn't have to worry about employing staff, managing staff. Um, And, um, yeah, but you just don't, you know, like told we'll do your bass and you know manage this person's perform you know like it's it's quite that is what I've found the biggest challenge really to like do those have the inclination but also as you get busier have the time to do those things Um, I mean of course you can pay people but um, and I've done that but then you do need to still keep an eye on people otherwise you they you can't you know it's your business you've got to know what's going on yeah what is it about surgery that you're enjoying? When when you get up in the morning, what are the sorts of things that you look forward to about your work? Um, well, I think for when I'm in surgery, um, well, what I like about it is that it's I'm free from interruptions mostly. Like, I mean, people come in and... It's not like I'm meditating while I'm in <laughs> surgery, but it is in some way like that, that when I'm there, that's my focus. I don't have to, when I'm sitting in the clinic, I've got, you know, my patient, I've got, you know, the phone ringing, a GP wanted to talk to me, I've got my secretary saying this, that or the other. You know, you can be a bit sort of helter-skelter trying to do too many things at once, whereas when I'm in theatre... I really enjoy um, just having that single focus. Um, I also like the technical aspects, like I said earlier, um, you know, the actual doing and being able to do something as opposed to, you know, sitting and talking. Um, And I find that part challenging and and that's, you know, ultimately it's good. That's why I like being challenged at work. Um, it's also, even though I'm saying that it's focused, you know, it's also quite social in theatre and I like that as well when you've got a good team of people around you that you can, at the same time, have a good time. I would imagine that the techniques and information around what you do change quite commonly over time. Is it a challenge to keep up with the latest techniques and and approaches? Uh, Well, I think you've just got to... um, Especially in private practice where you practice often... A little less um, with less with other surgeons, mm. um, less collaboratively. Um, you've just got to maintain that. I mean, I'm still at a place in my career where I'm still actively trying to get new skills and improve myself. And I'd like yep. to think that you know people are like that forever. 
Um, so I just attend a lot of conferences. I find my work at Breast Screen helps that as well because I'm actually, you know, talking not so much with other surgeons but with radiologists and the pathologists and talking about different pathologies. Yeah, it's just really about being on top of it. I mean, I think as uh, doctors we sort of have the skills to know how to do that and mostly it can be theoretical you know with reading but I've also done other um, you know like little short visitations where I'll go I'll say well I'm going to come and operate with you um, one day every six weeks for the next little yep. while and yep. I've done that just to try and um, improve my my practice in a certain technique um, and yeah, that's the way, you know, like if you need the practical aspect, and people are usually only too willing to have you there. It's yeah, just a matter right. of trying to fit it in and making yep. sure you get the exposure that you need. Yeah. What are the things about your work life that irritate you or that you don't enjoy about surgery as a general specialty? Um, it's, yeah, it's mainly just the business management, really. Yep. Like it's not... It's not horrific, but it's just ongoing, you know, um, finding and retaining good quality staff. Um, yeah. That's the big one because if you've got good people working with you, then it makes your life a lot easier. Um, but just finding those people is sometimes difficult. Um, I have got my um, husband working in my practice now, so I have managed to offload a lot of those responsibilities, <laughs> which is good. Um, because it's not my forte and also not an area where I feel my skills and experience are best um, are best served. But, um, yeah, if you've got someone with a vested interest who can ma manage those things for you, it's helpful. But that's the, the biggest thing. And the other thing, I suppose, like any doctor, is just the paperwork, the admin, yeah. you know, like um, doing all the letters for everyone I see. It, like I, I know that I need to do it and I, I do it willingly but sometimes it can be a bit of a drag if you get a little bit behind and yeah. then you've got to try and catch up on all that stuff yeah. but that'd be the most things yeah the actual day you know I don't have a lot of gripes about the day-to-day -day work I quite enjoy it but yeah just the admin and I suppose the business is another form of admin really so surgery as a specialty has got a reputation for being quite demanding at times um there have been issues raised about the culture of surgery in, in general terms with bullying and, and challenging and training environment. What has your experience been about that and where do you see it going from here? Um, so I was quite fortunate in my um, training not to experience any bullying or sexual harassment. I think that yeah it's a tough one um, certainly there's an expectation that if you're going to be a surgeon that that is your prime that you put that first mm. and I always did which was why maybe I didn't experience those problems um, that can come, you know, I arranged my life such that I didn't have children until, like, I was already um, 
done my fellowship exam, but and all the moving around for your training is can be a challenge to your family. I don't think that's unique to surgery, but you know, the, for certain, the attitude was always just, "Well, suck it up. If you want to be a surgeon, this is just what you do." Yeah. I did find. Um, there is, I think there is a little bit of an expectation or there was at least not to be overly, you know, not to complain and things. And I, But I think that that's maybe changed yeah. or changing because I see it differently in my tra- the trainees that I'm now exposed to. Right. And sometimes I have to sort of go, just sort of think, is, if, is, is, this, is this person not... Is this what the new normal, or is this person um, different? But um, yeah, I think it's changing. Um, but yeah, it's probably always going to be a bit more demanding on work-life balance in some ways, due to the uncertainty of the mm. the work. Meaning, well, you know, like if someone perforates their ulcer at ten o'clock at night, well it's not always a nine to five job and unlike other jobs where there's more a shift sort of thing like ICU or radiology or something like that the nature of that makes the hours a little bit more difficult but I mean as you get further on you can have a bit more control over those but yeah I think that in general things are changed certainly I know that the the really taxing jobs that I did during my training, like my transplant term, they 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 they'd not expected to work the same sort of hours that I worked back then. Um, they are more um, accepting of part time training, um, and there's you know small continual improvements um, to try and you know make things easier for for people. But yeah, it, it's not like being a GP or being a something else where you can choose your hours a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Now you trained initially in general surgery and yeah. then did a fellowship in breast endocrine. Firstly, why did you choose that? And secondly, what are the other options available to general surgical trainees in terms of subspecialisation, as it were? Yeah. Um, so being a breast and endocrine surgery surgeon, I thought was... Um, best suited to my work-life balance wishes and also to where I wanted to live and work. So it's important to consider where you want to live when you're choosing your specialty because if you want to live in the bush, there's no good choosing to be a transplant surgeon because you'll (laughs) never have the job or a habitability surgeon. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to come to the Sunshine Coast and I thought that being a female, I was well suited to being a breast surgeon um, and the endocrine surgery was actually more my love technically because it's um, very, generally it's quite fine and detailed and um, quite precise and I really enjoyed that. Um so, yeah, it was a pretty easy decision for me, really. Um, I still enjoy my general surgery and, you know, I do a lot of skin cancer surgery and just the general 
you know, hernia right. gallbladders, all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, that was my chosen area of interest. These days, there is not many general general surgeons, um, and so most people have a subspecialty, even though they will do the general things similar to what I do as well. Um, I think it's yeah, it's multifactorial, partly because you know our training we don't get as much exposure during our training, so because of probably because of decreased hours safe hours and you know probably medico legal things they're not you know you don't get let loose when you're an intern like they you know all my old bosses used to um so yeah often people feel like they need a little bit more training before they go work by themselves so they're looking to do some sort of extra post fellowship training um yeah so there's and there's a whole heap of slowly almost all the fellows, you know, subspecialty areas are developing their own colleges as well, so that that's yeah. actually a more formal process than it has been in the past. Um, but there's still the opportunity to do um, post-fellowship training outside those specific fellowship pathways as yeah. well where you just go and do the time without getting the extra special additional qualification. So you might do some additional training in a specialty like urology or something like that to be able to perform those sorts of functions but not at the level of the urologist. No, so thing? it's more like it's all within the general surgery. So they divide, you know, it's divided up. There's breast, endocrine, um, hepatobiliary, um, and then there's upper GI, there's bariatric, colorectal, you know, transplant, trauma, burns, you know, so they're, they're all, they've even got one now in rural surgery, you know. Um, so often peop- some of them have a more formal program, so a lot of them have sort of defined two-year programs where even when you're a fully qualified general surgeon, you go to be one of the, these extra subspecialty surgeons. Uh, but other ones are more informal where you just go and there's no like set program and you just go attach yourself to a certain unit to get more skills in that area and some people who are looking to be general surgeons might just do a year in more than one you know to get a bit more extra experience in a few different things but um they yeah so it's not so much other specialties outside general surgery like urology but other the, the ones, the subspecialties within it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you see your um, specialty evolving over the next 10 to 20 years? Do you think it will be significantly different to what it is now? Um, well, I think that it will just, with the general, the general general surgeon of old, will not, you know, there's still a few of them around now who used to do esophagectomies and abdominoperineal resections and then do a mastectomy and a thyroidectomy well they are not really happening anymore Mm. because I think most colleges with the major surgery you know there's quite a lot of research to indicate that you know that the case volume is correlates with outcomes so a lot of you know like it's like the whole Bundaberg Thing, you know, they just won't let you do certain operations unless you're doing a lot of them. And so I think that it will just continue to be a bit more subspecialised and that 
but being in somewhere like Noosa, I think, you know, like that often applies if you're in a big city. Noosa's hardly, you know, the backwaters, but, um, you know, if certainly if you're in a tertiary centre, you'll find that people, if they're a liver surgeon and someone comes in with a perforated diverticulitis, they'll probably say, no, I'm not going to do that, yeah. you know, whereas like even as a breast surgeon I you know would do that because it comes under the umbrella of emergency surgery and you know like I think that most at this stage in non-tertiary centres or even in tertiary centres but um, as a general surgery surgeon you'd be expected to to cover yep. all of emergency general surgery whereas I think that'll be the big change that that probably that won't be the case that even the emergencies will be subspecialised. So for people who are listening to this who are now considering a career in surgery, how do they? can you just give us a very brief summary of what surgical training involves in Australia at the moment? Yep. So um, you obviously complete your medical degree and your internship and then it's about making yourself... Um, attractive and fulfilling the requirements to get accepted onto surgical training um often that doesn't happen for a few years um they are frequently changing things but you know they might there's certain courses you might need to complete they want to see that you've had um a certain number of years of experience um they now prefer that you have already completed your surgical primary exams before you get accepted onto training um and so when you and the process to get on is an interview um when you've done that then you start your training program which in my time was five years but it's now been shortened to four years because they sort of are trying to make you do all a lot of the stuff before you actually get on to training and to take you on a little bit later I think when you've got a bit more experience and so then during that four years well at the end of the four on oh, during that four years you get rotated around um, different subspecialties or you know more regional general surgery units um, that happens every six months and then at the end of that you or towards the end of that you do your fellowship exam which is a combination of a written exam and a, um, a viva as well. Felicity Adams thank you very much for joining us and sharing your experiences of being a surgeon. No worries thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on the podcast for more great interviews just like this visit our website at www.oslocommunity.com.